0: Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water, to support women as leaders in the conservation movement, to ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Artemis podcast. I am your host, Marcia Brownlee, and we are joined today by our co-host, Ashley Chance. Hey, Ashley. Hello. How's Tennessee this morning?
1: Oh, it's great. It's sunny and warm. Birds are chirping. Nice. Good day. Excellent. Uh we are I appreciate
0: the, the I always enjoy podcasts when we're really just geographically all over the place. Um and today is one of those days as we are joined by Jody Dixon in Alaska. Hi Jody. Good morning. How's Juno this morning?
2: Uh, it's wonderful. We have high cloud and, um, that is going to be great for <laughs> transplanting some starts into the garden because mm. we've had a week of awesome sunny weather, but, uh, that just doesn't do well when you put those little starts out, they just trivel up and <laughs> can't yeah. handle that change.
0: <laughs> that's crazy. So you're
2: transplanting
0: starts already. I, um, in Montana, I try not to do that until like the end of May, because that's our frost date. Is your frost date passed already?
2: Um, I have a greenhouse, so ah. I go from the house to the greenhouse. And then um, I have planted a couple things, just, you know, seeds like kale in the garden and a little and some carrots just thinking, well, if they last, you know, if they survive, great. If not, I'll just replant there. But middle of May is our um, okay. general frost, last day of frost. How? OK,
0: apparently all of our podcast episodes um this month are starting with garden stories, <laughs> which is still on brand. I feel like that's okay. Um, how long is your growing season? Cause I imagine having a greenhouse is essential.
2: Um, I mean, it's not necessarily essential, but having starts to put in the garden can be tremendously, uh, helpful. Um, I have done it where I've done no starts and just put seeds in the garden and, you know, middle of May till, later in October depending on the year um you know sometimes you can get frost late September but there's lots of things that can handle that in the garden and sometimes you can you know even get into November still with some of those hardy um items
0: yeah okay that's I mean that's fairly comparable to what we have here in Montana very cool um All right. segueing from gardens, you can tell what we're all thinking about. (laughs) Um, Tell us a bit about who
2: you are. Yeah, I am. um, I'm actually a Canadian. So sometimes that surprises people. I've been in the States for a little over 20 years. So my Canadian accent is usually gone unless I go home for a couple weeks, then it comes back. Um, And I had the uh, pleasure of growing up in Jasper, Alberta. Mm -hmm. And that's I believe really where my love of the outdoors began my folks had an outfitting business so i spent like most of the year outside we did uh, trips with horses in the summer to either cabins or anywhere in the park just a portable camp cooked on the fire and wrangled the horses in the morning and um and then we did trips to our cabins we had a, a lake and we would go fishing and take guests on you know day trips and we also did ski trips into um, cabins that we had so just being in the backcountry has been a part of my life since (laughs) the beginning and uh, in the 2000s I ended up in Alaska and then in 2013 I met my husband and been hunting ever since and Definitely integrated foraging in the last few years more so, and uh, sort of seems like I can't believe there was a couple decades where you know I wasn't hunting and foraging, but I was doing other things in the outdoors. <laughs> so I'm
0: always curious because uh, my, I mean, yeah, I did not spend that much time um, in the backcountry as a as a child, as it sounds like you did with uh, parents who owned outfitting, which I can only imagine. Some of the magic of that, but but I was uh, just kind of a naturalist and a a hiker and a camper for sure um, before I became a hunter. How did becoming a hunter change your relationship with the natural world, or
2: did it? I definitely feel there was a change, and it was funny. um, I didn't really understand why my husband didn't really like to just go for a hike. You know, we do, we do hike and it's more for training, but when he said he didn't really like to hike, I didn't, I didn't understand that (laughs) until after our first hunt and after we had animals down and we were waiting for our, our, you know, flight out. I, I got it. I was like, it would be so anticlimactic to just go for a hike right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just the the intensity and the focus um
1: That's make it totally
2: different. And I, I take that to when I am just hiking now. I still do enjoy hiking, but I I see animals more. Like, you know, even if it's just, you know, a little white spot of a goat, you know, up on a ridge, I'll be like, oh, there's a goat up there. And somebody's like, how did you see that? Hmm. Like I feel like it just has changed me to like always be looking for animals. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: That's really interesting because I do. Uh, yeah, I'm, the level of focus and uh, kind of uh, on point is a is a phrase that my friends and I use it use to describe it when we're hunting. It's just like everything is zeroed in and the focus is. Is super heightened, and the amount of attention that it takes to stay at that level of intensity um, is different than what I use my hikes for. But I think you're right. Like the more time I spend in the woods as a hunter at that level of intensity, then just the more that uh, the those observations creep into my low intensity hikes because it, it I'm just more attuned to it. I don't know. Does
2: that make sense? Yeah, I agree.
1: Like almost like you just have this new awareness that's kind of you can turn the volume up or down, but mm-hmm. it's there mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, um as I was saying before we started the podcast i uh I mean most people who listen to the podcast know that I really love bear hunting, and it's something that uh brings joy to every spring, and yet we haven't had a podcast um talking about bear or bear hunting. Uh, which is interesting given that I've only been turkey hunting for um, two and a half years and unsuccessfully at that. But I think we've had like five podcasts about turkeys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll dig into that a little bit more deeply some other time. But um, I uh, I want uh, Jody to talk to you today about your experience um, bear hunting, uh, mostly just because that's not something we've done before. And I would love to, to talk to you about it. Can you, tell us how you got started bear hunting
2: yeah definitely and it's funny just um thinking about your podcast on turkeys um alaska is the only state that we can't go turkey hunting <laughs> <laughs> it's true. so it's like, i'll have to
0: come oh, south for that <laughs> perfect well i um, i will show you all the places they are not
2: in montana
1: <laughs> <laughs> i've got some info in tennessee too if you're interested
2: okay perfect um I had my first black bear hunt um was actually with a bow. And it was a very rewarding experience. Um but even with good shot placement arrow or rifle, uh a bear doesn't just drop dead, you know, like I've seen deer and other animals, good shot placement and they're down. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I quickly learned and is reiterated I would say on every bear, ha- bear hunt I've been on um, is you have an animal that's maybe uh, you know wounded or not quite dead and it's in the woods <laughs> and you are looking for it and potentially it's looking for you so that was um, after my first bow hunt uh black bear bow hunt i was thinking i don't really want to do this again (laughs) um just that you know thick brush here that you're looking through is really difficult to see very far so i mean you could have a wounded bear 10 yards away and you might not see it until it starts to move um on my bow hunt i did have um hunting partners that had firearms for safety and it was an area that wasn't bow hunting only or anything so it would have been appropriate to you know fire a firearm if something became you know dangerous but we did find that bear and drug it out of the woods and you know processed it and um that was very exciting but uh I've also been on another bow hunt um And the bear went into the woods maybe 40 yards and just up onto a little, um, like, bench and had turned and was looking towards where we were. And we waited the time necessary for, you know, a bow, um, you know, for an arrow to take its toll and the, the bleeding to, you know, let the animal die. And when we went in to, you know, follow the blood trail... We did find a dead bear, which was great, but it was perfectly positioned to defend itself. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> it was like, wow, they are smart and um, incredibly tough. So yeah. it's it's very um, humbling mm-hmm. to to hunt bears. I would say. <laughs>
0: what. So I think, I mean, how, what's the question, Marcia? Uh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so for me, getting started bear hunting, um, was an interesting, was not something I had planned on. I, uh, had only been hunting for about two years year and a half maybe. And my dad asked if I wanted to go on a bear hunt and I said, no. And then he asked again and I said, no, I don't think I'm ready for that. And then he asked a third time and I was like, okay, <laughs> this is important to my father and, uh, uh and I'm going to go with him. Um, so it's something that we can do together. And, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. But I do think, uh, changing, like there's, there's just a different quality about going after, um, a bear, a predator species than there is about going after, um, deer and other prey species. And so I'm curious about your decision to go on that first bear hunt and what the thought process was there.
2: Yeah. And I agree. There's a different, um, feeling when you're hunting a predator. It's for where I'm at in Alaska, it's simply a harvest ticket, um, and it's a local hunt, so it just seemed logical that that would be part of your repertoire of uh, hunting, mm-hmm. and um, and then it's kind of the first hunt of the year. We, you know, we we've been grouse hunting, but grouse hunting ends middle of May, and sometimes we'll try to do a little bit of both. But mm, mid May is a bit early for our black bear season, but. Um, you know, we've had a long winter and we're excited to get out. And so black bear hunting was just logical, I guess, in that, (laughs) that view. And um, I guess, yeah, I
0: guess that makes sense. I mean, I guess bear hunting and this is assumption. So tell tell me if I'm wrong, but it's probably more widely practiced in Alaska than in other States, just because they're, uh, they're, they're everywhere.
2: That could be true. I, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that, That would be true, and I'm talking about black bear hunting being in the spring as if that's the only time you can hunt them. It's not, that's when we choose to hunt them because the meat is better. But the season actually in our area is like September 1st to June 30th. Um, oh wow, but in the spring, they you know come out of their hibernation and they start feeding on the beaches, and then you can you know, you're glassing the beaches and things like that, or edges of the water, and then you, you know, spot and stalk. Um, So you can hunt bears more than just in the spring, Mm -hmm. but um, the meat is better in the spring. It's just tastes a lot fresher. You can imagine what a bear would taste like if um, it had been eating salmon or rotten salmon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That makes sense. Um, (laughs) And the, and the regulations change too. So if you are hunting a fall bear, um, you don't have to legally take the meat, um, at least in our area, but that's more why we hunt is for the meat. And, um, I guess just on the bear hunting topic, I didn't understand why people hunted, you know, brown bear, grizzly bear, cause that meat is not good to eat. I've never heard of anyone eating brown or grizzly bear meat. Um, and I didn't quite understand, like, well, why would you hunt them? And now that I've been out hunting enough, I get it. If you're controlling population on all the other animals, um, you kind of need to control the population on on those guys, too, because they can definitely put a dent in the deer population mm-hmm. or push black bears out of, out of their habitat. Mm-hmm.
0: Ashley, what's bear, bear hunting like in...
1: Tennessee. That is a great question. Um I'll preface it with the caveat that I have never bear hunted um or even been on a bear hunt with someone that was. Bear hunting from what I know in Tennessee is a uh, people hunt bear with dogs here most commonly and so it's kind of a people hunt from their vehicles so they'll drive Uh, mountain roads and they'll have dogs with GPS collars and telemetry collars so they can track them. Um, And the dogs will find the bear, run the bear, and then people harvest them as the bear crosses a road or the dogs push it into um, a place that's, you know, they can see it and have a shot at it. Um, I don't know. This This is a very interesting conversation for me because Uh, maybe a little known fact about me is that before I got this position, I actually worked at a black bear rescue facility. Um, I never anticipated being in the role of rescuing wildlife, certainly not wildlife of game species. Um, But a lot of things just came together to put me in that situation. And I'm thankful for it now because I was able to be up close and personal with wild bears. They were temporarily captive and they were, all young, under two years old, but I was able to do that every day, um, and watch them in a semi-natural situation. And so I feel like that gave me a really unique understanding of them. And I I don't, I don't know that I would ever want to hunt bears. Um, not just because of that experience, but even before that, I always felt a little bit strange about hunting a predator and I haven't been able to suss that out or really put it into words. But that's why this is so, that's why I love, I love to hear how you guys approach this because I'm curious about it. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I feel like in our area, there is uh, a really high population of, of black bears. So it feels like it's a um, logical thing to hunt. Um, Where I got my bear with my bow, it was a fairly small lake and I think we saw 11 black bear around the different edges of that lake as we were glassing that day. Wow. (laughs) Um, Mm. I had a question about the bear hunting in your areas. Is trichinosis a concern?
0: Yes, um, definitely. Uh, And I mean, most of the people I know who bear hunt just work around that by cooking the meat thoroughly. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, it, it impacts how I process my bear. I, I do mostly like stew meat and ground beef instead of big steaks, um, or roasts that I know can be pulled apart. But, um, yeah, I mean, most people don't have too much concern about it beyond, uh, just making sure the meat is cooked thoroughly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say the same. Mm-hmm.
0: How
2: about you? It, same. And it was strange on my first processing field processing of the black bear um one of my buddies were like you know we we don't cut open the gut cavity to take tenderloins we don't take the rib meat we don't take the organ meat um I was like what (laughs) (laughs) um and you don't legally have to um whereas obviously you know deer and other animals you have to take the rib meat and um Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. And I I am curious that, you know, if you do um, cook it thoroughly, like if taking some of that other meat is still fine, um, I just have read a little bit that there seem you know, it's more in the digestive tract and in the diaphragm. And I can understand that that would be more susceptible. But I was kind of thinking, well, if one part of the animal has it, doesn't the whole animal have it? yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't know, for safety's sake, that's the approach I want to take.
2: Right? <laughs> like I just yeah. assume it all has
0: it and, and yeah. act accordingly. And I've definitely scaffolded my consumption of bear meat. Like I started um, just quartering it in the field and, and um, uh, with the gutless method and, and you know, not even going on the inside. Uh, but then last mm-hmm. year I took the heart um, as well. And I think, I mean, it's, it's a parasite. And if you cook it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, scientist, Ashley, but it's a parasite. And if you cook it, then it's dead.
1: That's right. Yeah. It just needs to reach. I don't know what the temperature is, but yeah, if you get it to that temperature. Yeah. There you go. You can, you can munch away. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Blissfully unaware. Yep. Yep. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I haven't worried too much about it. Um, but I'm, I'm. I understand the idea that you know you, you don't need to gut it because uh, why expose yourself to that level of bacteria if you don't need to, right? And it's just mm-hmm. you can do the gutless method, and it's and then you can get the tenderloins from the outside and and all that's fine. Um, but I'm I just I I, I like exploring an animal um, when I have them down, and so last year after I or the year before after I got all the meat off of the bear um, just open up the cavity and see what it's like see where mm-hmm. my shot went you know see um exactly where I hit it and what the inside of the bear is uh, is, is different than a deer and it's kind of processing all of that and and yeah while I was there I pulled the heart out
1: mm-hmm. cool. I have a quick question that is probably not bear specific but how do you get the tenderloins out using the gutless method? I always assume people left them behind and I was like, what a travesty. <laughs>
0: yeah. No. Um. Well, you can, I mean, the way we do it was with a bone saw.
1: Ah, okay. So you mm. just go right through. Okay. Yep. That makes
0: yep. sense. You know, you have it um, with the ribs on top. So, you, or I mean the spine on top. So everything mm-hmm. else is, you know, a victim of gravity and it's resting yeah. on the ground. And then you just very carefully go from the inside. It's not easy. That's not the easiest way to get them. Um, and I think, this year I'll uh uh well last year was years twenty twenty is just throwing off my last year <laughs> without any stress you know <laughs> the last time I harvested a bear we'll we'll phrase it that way um because I did gut it I, I took the uh, tenderlands from the inside um but in previous years uh went through the back
1: gotcha yeah hmm.
0: yeah um what do you Jody, what are some of your favorite recipes?
2: We love to have summer sausage made with um, a lot of the the black bear meat. Um, We have done a couple of different, you know, batches on our own, but we also have a local um, uh, business that you can take your meat to and they do a really good job. And sometimes, uh, again, getting back to the gardening, there's just so much going on in the spring. You're like, Okay. If I can delegate yep. that to one <laughs> one other area and I know I really like the end product, then you know we'll do that. But I am shifting to, you know, freezing some of that and then I can do the sausage making, you know, in the winter when I don't have so many things going on. Like I need to change the train of thought that I have to process the meat exactly the way I want it as soon as we get home. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can push it to a different time of the year. Um mm-hmm. I have done some different Mediterranean dishes which have been nice with back straps where, you know, it is fully cooked, but there's, you know, different spices and raisins and apricots mm-hmm. and that's been. Oh, that sounds um, good. Yeah, that was uh that was a good fit. That
0: does sound delicious. And it's funny, as you say that um, you know, that you can freeze the bear meat and then process it in your own time. That was just like a light bulb for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. She's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's been a light bulb, honestly, for my husband and I over the last couple of years, when we've gotten a bunch of deer and like, you know, we've got like four deer to process. and It's like, gosh, we cannot grind all this. We just started freezing huge bags of what we call chunks that are destined to be ground. And it works beautifully. I feel like that's a, that's a critical hack to think about when you're processing
2: make yeah make your freezer work
0: for you (laughs) yeah
2: well on that that topic um we've also started to well i've also started to freeze uh a few quarters just overnight so um you know it might be a two-day process and once the you know i've done a certain amount of processing the meat and then you know, I'm kind of done for the day, I put those quarters um, in the freezer. And then the next day, they're frozen just about right to um, put through the bone saw and, and cut for like oso buco or, you know, meat on bone kind of steaks. And mm. um, that's been, you know, <laughs> again, another light bulb, because putting it through the meat saw when the meat is not frozen is uh, a little bit more messy. So when it's a little frozen. It's easy to put through and it's nice clean cut. And that's been so nice to have in the freezer.
1: <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um,
0: and then do you keep the hides or do you tan the hides?
2: I have sent hides to be tanned. And, um, this year I'm actually going to try to tan my own and a little inspiration from one of your previous podcast on a a woman who who does a a whole bunch of tanning and um I sort of feel like if it if I do a horrible job and it doesn't work out like that's okay it's not my first black bear like uh it won't be a crisis yeah (laughs)
0: Yeah, I was actually, I was processing this out loud with a friend <laughs> a while back. I was about bear hunting because I'm going again. I'm so excited. I actually leave on Sunday to go on a bear on my spring bear hunt this year um, and thinking about wanting to tan my own hides. Um, and then I don't have a big freezer because I live in a tiny house, and so I usually borrow my dad's freezer space when I need that holdover freezer. So I was thinking that maybe I will just freeze the, bear hide and then process it later this summer. Um but I'm I'm actually okay, talk me out of this, Jody. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking I'm a little intimidated by the bear hide because it's such a high quality, beautiful, thick, precious hide um and thinking that trying my first uh trying my hand at tanning a hide first with a bear hide felt uh, like a big risk that if I did it poorly then the loss is significant. Um and so I might wait and uh this fall practice my first tan on a deer hide instead. What do you think?
2: I think that makes a lot of sense. I've also thought about trying to practice on, you know, some squirrels or
0: mm. you know, something
2: very small just to like go through the process a few times and I've been reading a book and, you know, going through the steps as well. And I'm like, uh I know I need to just do this a few times. And, um, yeah, I think some practice will be good <laughs> before wanting a, a good result on, um, a more precious, you know, hide <laughs> and experience. Um, also... I'm going to go ahead.
1: I was, I'm going to interject a tip here. Roadkill is your friend. Oh. <laughs> I have a, a red fox, a beautiful red fox. It was a juvenile just coming adult that uh, when we were in grad school, my husband was driving to work one day and he called me. He's like, there's a fox dead right on this corner. It was in town. And he's like, it's perfect. It's pristine. Like nothing's wrong with it. It just got, you know, hit and dead. And I drove over there. So with my hair in a towel from getting out of the shower and <laughs> threw it in the trunk and um, it's on the wall now. And I would have been so scared like if I would trapped it or something. But yeah, use, take advantage of those opportunities.
0: That makes so much sense.
1: Yeah, that's a good tip.
0: Um, I was also thinking with bear hides, you know, they're just so ticky, right? Like a mm-hmm. spring bear mm-hmm. is just... It's a lot of work, not only to clean the back of the hide, but a lot of work to clean the front of the hide. And um, the idea of doing that in my yard, I mean, I just don't like ticks and I know nobody does, but part of me is like, (laughs) let's start with something that has a little fewer blood filled parasites.
1: (laughs) You know, whenever I soak hides, the ticks get preserved too. So you can pick them off whenever.
0: (laughs) Preserve (laughs) too. Make a little collage. Preserve the
1: package deal.
0: (laughs) Gross, but no, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Oh, ticks.
2: Well, bonus, we don't have ticks in Alaska.
1: Really? What? No. Oh my gosh, (laughs) I had no idea.
0: I I'm moving there tomorrow. Do you know why? (laughs) Like, is it is
2: it. What I think about... they get killed off in the winter. I think okay. the winters are, are too harsh to, you know, get that
1: cycle going year after year.
2: Interesting.
1: That's nuts. I had no clue. Me
2: neither. I mean, I kind of feel like the mosquitoes make up for it. Uh, that's, fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. And the devil's club. In the what? And the devil's club.
0: What's devil's club?
2: <clears throat> Is it like devil's it's... walking stick? Um, maybe i mean the the stock could is has many uses um the entire plant actually has many uses i'm not an expert on it but <laughs> feel like a bit of an expert on bushwhacking through it so it's <laughs> it's a um plant that is very prolific in uh, at least southeast alaska and it has little stickers like you know like rose bush stickers all over it, all over the entire stalk. And when it does leaf out underneath the bottom of the leaf, and the leaf is a bit like a maple leaf shape, um, and they can grow like ten feet tall. So right now, when you're going through the forest, there's no leaves, but you just have these sticks. <laughs> you have these these branches growing up from the ground in some places, just everywhere. So, um, getting through them is <laughs> very challenging and and when we're grow hunting, it's grouse hunting season it looks like I often have um, rashes <laughs> but it's, it's when the devil's club just you know a branch you didn't step over it right or you stepped on something and you didn't realize the bottom of the branch was underneath that moss and so it kind of comes back and Slaps you in the back of the leg or <laughs> arm or whatever, and so those little stickers will go through your clothes. And sometimes they stick in you, and sometimes they pull out, but it leaves all these little red marks.
0: <laughs> that sounds fun, Oof. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least ticks more often than not, you can get them off before they do any damage, right? That's a bonus. <laughs> Oh goodness. Um you had also mentioned when we were talking about this podcast wanting to talk um a little bit about the exponential benefits of hunting. Do you want to bring us into that conversation?
2: Yeah. I have experience with yoga and yoga is um talks a lot about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems and I found my experiences after like my first big game hunts, it was such a stress relief. Um, and it's, I think, a common experience when when any of us go out in nature, it's a wonderful way to relieve stress and it's healthy in so many ways, just being active and breathing fresh air. Um, but the the process of the hunt. And like we talked about earlier with, you know, your heightened senses, I feel like it's a, um, a form of stress, but a healthy form of stress, not like, oh, I got to pay the rent or, you know, that predator is going to kill me. It's not quite fight or flight, but it's this like elevated stress response. And then especially when you you know, are getting ready to like take a shot, right? I think everyone hunter can relate to, you know, heart pounding. And again, body is in like high alert. And when you make a good shot, at least in <laughs> the animal is down, you have this, just like such a relief. And it's this like, really effective and therapeutic, you know, parasympathetic response and just wonderful stress relief um and then even in like additional the the bigger mountain um hunts like deer and sheep and elk where we're packing like heavy loads for a long time and it's just this physical exertion it's so effective on on like relieving stress like you are like one foot in front of the other. And then when you finally, you know, get to your destination again, there's this like ah, huge relief. And I think it's hard to get that really complete relief in our high stress and high paced lives. And I think that carries over to like when we're actually consuming that food, it just your connection and the, the reminders, like coming back to that, huh, you know, that, that experience.
0: That's so interesting. Cause I think like my story of starting to hunt, um, and I've talked about it on other podcasts. So I, I think some people may be familiar of it, but I started to hunt at sort of the tail end of my mother's, um, Alzheimer's. And so for me, a lot of it was, uh, uh, coping and processing, um, and healing through, through those years. But one of the things that I discovered through hunting that, um, I wasn't getting in my other activities is that is kind of what you're describing. I hadn't framed it that way, but it's this physical response where I would wake up in the morning and just be excited. First of all, about the day, um, because with hunting, you absolutely never know what's going to happen. And so kind of the mystery and the anticipation, Um, And the potential for that adrenaline rush uh, was exciting um, in a way that other activities didn't give me that spark, I guess. Um, And then, yeah, being in the woods that focused with that much intention and, and riding that roller coaster of experience and emotion was relieving. Uh, But, yeah, but I hadn't ever framed it in that context like you just did.
2: Yeah, and I think it's a lot like um, extreme sports where there's, you know, consequences. It's a forced meditation. Mm -hmm. And when people talk about, you know, being present, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you are definitely being present. And for a pretty extended time period. Hours, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: And except for that, like we talked about, I think it was last podcast where we talked about, except for that two minutes where your mind wanders and the animal walks in front of you. Yeah.
1: That <laughs> magical moment. Yep. They can...
0: yeah.
1: yeah. I think that seems like the key though in all of this is that in, at least in my own life, and I think for a lot of people now, it's, it's rare to have that kind of single minded focus. And so to be able to put yourself in a situation where you have it, and then there's a clear resolution Either you harvest an animal or you don't. Either you see an animal or you don't. It's kind of like you can ride that ride and then it's over. And you don't have to kind of be stuck between Instagram and email, <laughs> whatever else.
0: <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Whereas just there's always something to be done or to do. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this is that adventure is bookended.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. There's a completion, you know, you're like, okay, this hunt is done, you know, animal down or not. I had a great experience. I'm home safe. And you still have a, an incredible, you know, just healthy experience for all the systems of your body, your heart and the muscles, <laughs> the nervous system.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's fascinating. And I wonder too, what chemically is happening through that process that may be different.
2: Yeah. I've been curious about that as well.
0: Um, we'll have to have a neuroscientist on and pick their way. <laughs> Next Definitely. Yep. It's fascinating. Um, are you bear hunting this break?
2: Yes. Yes. Tell us about your plans. We have a a boat that we will take out and um, go a little further south. And there's just so many islands and bays and inlets in southeast Alaska. We will be venturing through different ones. Often, wind and calm water or lack thereof can dictate where we go and be doing some glassing and hopefully be out where. Maybe in the daytime, um, when the bears are not going to be as active, we can get on a couple of grouse before grouse season ends. And uh, yeah, just enjoy being away and offline. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking
0: forward to that as well. That, I mean, it, given the way you've described kind of the uh, gnarliness of the Alaska <laughs> wilderness, I imagine, do you with the exception of, of grouse, do you do most hunting, scouting by boat?
2: No, only, only black bear hunting for us. Um, I mean, we'll often take our boat to go do alpine deer hunting. So our deer hunting opens August 1st and, um, we would, you know, often we'll take the boat out anchor up somewhere and, and hike up to, you know, the, the alpine, um, same for elk when we've been drawn for elk and Edelon. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Obviously some fishing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Fun. Yeah. Well, we'll have to circle back around after our bear hunts and, and swap stories.
2: Sounds good.
0: And Ashley, I will make you some um, pulled bear tacos and can and yes. plant some seeds in your brain.
1: That sounds amazing. So I have eaten bear before, actually. Um, Growing up, my uncle hunted bear. And I remember, I don't know why I remember this, but I was probably like seven or eight. I was over at my cousin's house, and they had made something in the crock pot. It was some pulled bear meat. And he gave me a bite of it, and I was like, whoa. (laughs) It was, was, I remember it being very fatty and really just like rich, Um, but I was super young. And so I don't, I haven't had it since then, but I, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to bear hunting by any means and not opposed to eating it. I just, I don't know. There's something in me that I need to hash out about why I feel the way that I do. Cause I don't fully understand it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, f- I, I feel the same way about, um, wolf hunting or, or mountain lion hunting. Right? There's just, mm-hmm. um, I'm not ready for that and, Maybe I'll never be, and doesn't mean I'm opposed to it, just means that I'm not ready to participate in it. And that's fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Yeah. that's fine. It's fascinating. Um, digging into kind of our cultural because Ashley, we touched on this, um, with a, a fish podcast too, like the cultural, um, uh, identities that we give to different animals and how that impacts are yes. what we what we imagine them to be, uh, and with fish, that's we we all, not all. I won't universalize it like that, but we think differently about fish than we do about mountain lions or or bears. And
1: yeah, and that's the thing. I feel like such a hypocrite whenever I bring this up. I was just talking with my husband about it a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, I will just harvest deer all season long fill the freezer you know the more the better and I feel I have respect for the animal I think they're beautiful I understand their biology and behavior to the same degree or maybe more and for some reason that just feels so natural and then thinking about a predator even if I'm going to eat it I don't I don't know I think it's just a construct in my brain probably Mm -hmm. but uh yeah I need to explore that further yeah it's interesting um
0: Jody, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we transition to hits and misses?
2: Um it's just been a really fun conversation. Oh, when we were talking about um bear and and I think Ashley mentioned that she'd tried something that was fatty. Um uh, my father-in-law swears that black bear fat is the best thing to make
1: like apple pie crust. Mm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Is it any fat or like the, the call fat specifically? I, I believe he has
2: said the fat off the kidneys.
1: Okay. okay. Yeah.
2: And I've definitely, we raised a couple of pigs, um, so that we have our own pork to do some sausage and I don't know if we'll do that again, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> when, when we when I was processing it, I did see how different the fat around the kidneys was compared to all the other fat around the body mm-hmm. it was very white and not as much connective tissue very um pristine is how I would describe it
0: have you been yeah. able to harvest much fat on your spring bear because mine generally have been super lean
2: right no okay. because of I think again it being spring and they just haven't put the fat on yet hmm mm-hmm.
1: That was another interesting thing, Jody, that you mentioned is that fall bear don't taste as good, it sounds like, because of what they're eating a lot of times. I wonder, Marsha, do you know anything about that for parts of the country where they're not eating salmon primarily? Because I Mm -hmm. feel like knowing what a bear goes through physiologically in hibernation, like that stuff is old. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that was Uh, interesting for me to hear that.
0: Yeah. You know, I've only harvested spring bear um i haven't harvested fall bear so i don't really have much uh connection to put to it i our personal experience i do like the way the spring bear tastes and i think i mean i agree with jody what it's eating at that time of year um is is a little bit cleaner uh and um i like i know the bear fat is is very useful and um a lot of people only hunt in the fall in order to get that bear fat um but it's also smelly (laughs) Mm. the bear fat's smelly and um so a lot of people when I talk to them about bear hunting comment on on that smell and I've never experienced that in the spring um so I think yeah I don't I don't know I can't speak to that beyond my personal experiences which is I really haven't explored fall bear much That's a we can put that question to our listeners. I know they've got thoughts, I'm certain they do. Yeah, but that's that's funny. That yeah, that meat's just been
1: I don't know, (laughs) it's just been going around in circles in there. (laughs) Let me tell you. (laughs) So, that is one of the really cool things about bears, like physiologically speaking, they have so many things that are unique about them within the order mammalia. Um, And one of them being that they can, I don't know, I could talk about this for a long time, but they do a lot of crazy stuff that really we don't see in other animals to get through that time period. Like? Like, um, let me see if I can remember it all from my expert days. Well, they're all of their body functioning changes, right? So like their temperature drops a little bit, not actually as much as people would think. Um, but they cycle urea through, which is something that for most animals is really hard to do. Um, and then to keep like their kidneys going and stuff and they change their, I mean, their heart rate changes. And then like the way that they're, um, I don't really know how to describe it. Their their blood glucose or the way that um, different metabolites and things in their body move around is just really weird. And I'm not a physiologist, so I can't really describe all this very well. Um, But yet they're just kind of in a suspended animation state. And one of the other really cool things is that, you know, females are bred um, before they go into the den. So like they're bred in the springtime. But then the babies, like the the actual fertilized egg doesn't start developing until basically they go into the den hmm. or a little bit before that. So they have, they call, it's called suspended animation. Hmm. And um, some other animals do that, but it's just cool that they do it.
2: Man, it is fascinating. Just the fact that they hibernate and um, if they haven't put on enough, bad if there hasn't been a good fish run or things like that we we see them much later in the season and and climate change too with it being warmer in the fall they're out longer but it's just fascinating what they will eat
1: and to be ready to to hibernate Mm -hmm. well it's all it's also really cool to think about that when they're hibernating or in torpor they they can be at 100 percent in seconds yeah right like if they're disturbed they can come which is not characteristic of an animal that's modified its systems to withstand a long period of no food so that's pretty cool too
0: yeah yeah it's fascinating anybody else uh this is this is a complete segue um and not a good one (laughs) (laughs) I feel like with bear hunting, anytime I talk about bear hunting, my background as a preschool teacher surfaces and I think about going on a bear hunt, I'm going to catch a big one. (laughs) Just like (laughs) go into that, that, that children's rhyme um, very easily. But bears are cool. They really are. They're, they're, they're fascinating, um, interesting animals.
2: Yes. And, one thing I would, um, I guess, uh, want to like warn or prepare you for, Ashley, is that if you are doing that hide processing and you're, you know, taking off the the paw, the, the bones that are left in the bear paws and that meat uh, look incredibly human, which can be a bit freaky.
1: Yeah, I feel like a bear without a tide looks a lot like a person. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes, I've I've heard of some pranks that have happened around that fact to oh, freak a few gosh. people out, which I have never been a part of. Yeah, that's not nice. That's not nice. It's not okay. Oh, oh goodness. Um, and on that note, um. <laughs>
1: Let's but wait. Oh, yeah, I have one more question okay. on that note. Okay, Sorry. that's all right. Marsha, you have a bear hide. Did you skin that bear out yourself? I have two bear hides. Um,
0: and no, I had help.
1: Okay, because one of the things I found with my fox was that on an animal that has like foot pads, and that was the first time I had also skinned out around an animal's nose, um, it gets weird. And I don't know the rules of like how you're supposed to do it, but there's a lot of fat and stuff in there and also other tissues. I'm not really sure what they are around like the pads of the feet. And I don't, yeah, maybe Google that (laughs) before you, before you go for it.
0: Well, for, for both of my bear, we, um, took the whole hand off like the whole paw. Um, because I had those professionally processed or professionally tanned. And so they, I, I worked around that, um, in that way. Uh, but I did have um, the person I was with walk me through um, skinning the skull, which is a fascinating, mm. fascinating process. I don't feel like I have the skill to be able to do that well by myself by any stretch, but it was really fascinating to watch and to learn.
1: Cool. Sorry for the interruption. No.
0: Uh, And I think like one of my hides I had made into a rug. So it's, you know, it's skull and it's paws are still fairly intact. Uh, But the Mm -hmm. other one I just had tanned. And so then I don't think you need to pay as much care um, around the edges. It all depends on what you want to do with it.
1: Gotcha.
2: Yeah. Same here, like legally when we have, when we go to get our bear sealed, the, you know, head and paws need to be attached but after that um, for the tanning like my minor rugs as well like on the backs of chairs and so the claws and the head are not really relevant for that purpose Um, so that just gets cut off or I shouldn't say completely like there's it's the head isn't as manicured to be displayed on the wall where it you know has its full form um so i think it depends on what you're hoping to do with it as well of course gotcha yeah and i would say all animals all all big game when you get to that skinning out the part of the the nose and around the eyes and things like that that is difficult Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah
0: difficult delicate work
2: Yes, yeah
1: de- very delicate yeah
0: uh okay, hits and misses. What have you been aiming for, and how did it go? Ashley I feel like, oh, I feel like we've, gosh. we. yeah, this is the second podcast we've recorded in a handful of days, and so um you gotta dig deep for this one, maybe
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. well, I can something comes to mind because it just hit me in the face a couple of minutes before I got on this call, literally um I have two two deer hides from this past season that have just been hanging on the porch. I need to wet them down again and actually break them so that they're soft right now. They're like plywood.
0: Oh, you can do that. You can do that in kind of stages like
1: that. I'm doing it that way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) From what I'm reading, I think you can. Yep. Nice.
1: Yeah. So they've been, they've been pickled in like a ammonium alum solution for however many days. And they've got like all the tissue is removed and everything. They're just, solid rock hard hair on one side skin on the other so I need to do that before this baby's born or I know they're gonna end up in a shed somewhere eaten by rodents or thrown away and I don't want that to happen so I don't know if that's a hit or a miss I guess currently a miss but hopefully soon it'll be a hit I
0: love how like (laughs) finishing processing your deer hides is part of your nesting
1: (laughs) yes a significant part of my nesting nice Awesome.
0: Uh, Jody. what have you been aiming for and how did it go?
2: Um, it's a, kind of a domestic thing. I'm finally getting a um, sheet sewn in the right shape for our V-berth. We have, you know, like a three-inch memory foam for sleeping in the V-berth of our boat. And it's a very odd-shaped thing. You can't buy right. a sheet that's going to fit it like that. And it's an awkward place to do a project to get things to fit, and I'm at least done with the hardest part and just have to finish um, some of the the last easier parts. So it feels really good to be doing the project and almost done. Nice. (laughs) Nice.
0: That's cool. So is that you guys just, you um, beach the boat and sleep in it whenever you're out on the boat?
2: We will anchor. Okay. Yeah. And sleep on the boat. Exactly. Nice.
0: Yeah. Is it is it better or worse than a waterbed?
2: <laughs> I would say way better. Okay. Um, other than the fact that if you don't anchor in a good place or the wind picks up and you start dragging anchor, that's really scary. That's happened once. Yeah. <laughs>
1: mm, you it. wake, wake up, up
2: and you're like, I think we're moving. <laughs> <laughs> with, that, with that whole like, where am I? What's happening? <laughs> exactly. It's dark get up start the engines figure out where we are speaking of zero to 16 seconds
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. it comes to survival
1: <laughs> okay speaking of survival though I feel like that that's a huge win I know it would be for me to be able to have a comfortable bed set up to sleep in when I'm out hunting or camping because honestly that is my biggest challenge to overnight like backpacking, camping, hunting, whatever, is I can never sleep well because I can never be comfortable. Mm. So props to you. That sounds like a big win.
2: Thank you. It's, um, it's a lot of work to get the boat ready to, to go out for several days. It just feels like you're moving yeah. <laughs> so much stuff that gets moved onto the boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course we always bring too much food, but you feel like we're out there. There's <laughs> There's nothing out there. You have to bring everything you're going to need.
0: And more because you never know (laughs) what's going to happen.
2: Exactly.
0: Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm a, I always bring more food than I need, but I also know how awful I get when I'm hungry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I've had a couple of experiences where the trip just really didn't go as planned and, um, at a young age and there wasn't. Food. Yeah. And I think that's been instilled in me to like always have extra. Mm-hmm.
1: Can't go wrong with extra. Can't go wrong with yeah. extra for sure.
2: <laughs> um
0: well so uh I guess both of my I don't have any I'm gonna phrase it as like these are future hits and, and they're not gonna be misses. These are future hits. Um, but I am going on a bear hunt next week. Um, I'm going to catch a big one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm and sing the song, and sing the song, um, probably on repeat as I'm out in the woods. Um, and so I'm really excited for that. Uh, as I was mentioning, we didn't do it last year, uh, because it's a spring bear hunt. So the pandemic was really just picking up speed right when we usually go out. So, um, we didn't do it last year. Uh, But my dad and I are going out again this year, and it's going to be a week in the middle of the wilderness in Idaho with no reception, and I'm so looking forward to it, uh, and I look forward to sharing the stories um, when I get back. And then tonight... well, it won't be tonight when this podcast airs, but it's tonight when this podcast <laughs> is recording. Uh, we have our very first meeting with our 2021 Artemis Ambassador cohort, uh, where we all get together um, and, and say hello to each other and get our year started off together. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. And Jody, uh, welcome to the 2021 Artemis Ambassador team. We're super excited to have you and I'm really excited to, to see what this year has in store for all of us.
2: Yes, thank you. I'm really excited as well to um, meet other people in the organization and um, just to be a part of sharing what I love with other women. I think it's a, it can be a difficult thing to get into. And I think your um, purpose with Artemis is wonderful to to support that interest in other women.
0: And it's, it's so fun to create spaces um, where we can have conversations like this, where we just chat about things that we love and go where the conversation takes us and in a way that, um, for me, aligns with my conversation style and preferences and, and comfort. And it's just lovely. So thank you for this conversation. Um, thank you for talking bears with me. Yeah, likewise. It's been really fun
2: and nice to hear your voice, Ashley.
1: Yeah, it's it was great to meet you, Jody. Welcome aboard, Marsha and I both I know are really excited about this year's this year's cohort. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely awesome. All right, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Artemis Podcast. We hope you're having a great week and uh, getting out in the field and on the water and just getting after it. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside.